Welcome to the Dr. Lori Mars podcast, where she interviews experts in health and science, sharing their expertise so you can live your healthiest life. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Fit Vegan Coaching, the world's leading whole food plant-based body recomposition program for Gen X and baby boomers. Founded by Maxime, whose personal journey began after losing his ex-fiance to breast cancer, Fit Vegan Coaching is on a mission to disease-proof the world through the transformative power of plant-based eating and fitness. This program is the Rolls Royce of plant-based coaching, offering all-inclusive services, personalized plans, world-class accountability, lifelong support, and more. Say goodbye to the yo-yo dieting and embrace a lasting transformation that will rev up your metabolism even post-transformation. Ready to take charge of your health and vitality? Head over to fitvegan.ca, that's fitvegan.ca, and mention Dr. Lori for exclusive bonus savings when you sign up. Don't miss this opportunity to join the movement towards a healthier, fitter, and more vibrant you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by The Healing Kitchen, your path to vibrant health. Immerse yourself in the transformative program. Guided by the combined expertise of myself, Dr. Lori Marbus, and Chef Brittany Giroudi, who has lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. Here's what's in store for you. Virtual weekly sessions. Engage in an immersive 60-minute virtual session every single week where you'll delve into the world of wholesome plant-based goodness right from your own kitchen. Cooking with Brittany the first half hour. Unleash your inner chef as you're captivated by Chef Brittany Giroudi's culinary mastery that will delight your taste buds and nourish your body. Medical Q&A with Dr. Lori the last half hour. Prioritize your well-being during the second half hour. I will personally address your medical inquiries, providing evidence-based insights and personalized advice, empowering you to make informed choices for your health. So join us on The Healing Kitchen to help you step into a healthier and most vibrant future. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm super excited to really interview kind of the OG of a whole food plant-based diet. Um, some really cool things coming this way, our way, guys. So listen up. Uh, welcome, Jeff Palmer. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you for the first time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I, you know, you come from a really interesting background with bodybuilding. You started companies. Really, it sounds like you're the uh, deep into the science as well and come highly recommended. So I can't wait to dive into some of this with you. Um, but first, I'd love to just introduce you to the audience and share your story of how you went plant-based, how long ago, and kind of where you uh, ended up where you are today. Yeah, so it, it was not usual because uh, I became vegan on March 15th, 1985. So a few years ago, <laughs> I've been vegan for uh, 38 years, over 38 years. Um, and, and back then, there really wasn't much in the way of uh, vegan information, so to speak. Uh, there were no major books out. There were no movies. Internet was not popularized yet. Uh, so there's no social media, nothing like that. Um, so my, my change actually came from within, um, I, uh, lost my mother and my father and my brother at an early age and, uh, uh, started to suffer deeply from suicidal depression. And, um, I uh, attempted to take my life a couple of times and I was, I was ready to leave. I just could not handle the mental and emotional anguish. And um, to be honest, I was just sitting in a bar and a woman walked into the bar who was just really beamingly happy. And I walked right up to her and I said, show me how to show me how to be that way. Oh. She, she laughed and she was taken aback. But she said, well, I just came from a, a therapist who really helped me with a breakthrough. Maybe he can help you. And uh, it turns out he was a, a healer, not so much a traditional therapist. <laughs> and uh, we went and we started talking and he talked me back into my pain, to the very core of it. And I had this powerful breakthrough that changed my whole world. And instantly in that moment, 
I quit drinking, I quit doing drugs, I quit smoking, and I quit eating all animal products in that moment. I've never suffered a day of depression in my life again. <laughs> Can we just talk, can we halt there just for a moment? Because I'm sure there's lots of other great, amazing things. Okay, now I'm, this could probably be an entire hour conversation. I am very intrigued. What did the therapist do? How long did this take? I'm just curious if you don't mind expanding that a little bit. Yeah, so... He he was very perceptive. He recognized as soon as I showed up to the door, he looked at me and he goes, oh, you came here to prove me wrong. And it's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, I was, I was pessimistic. Look, I was, my father was an English professor. My mother was a union psychologist. Uh, so I was raised by academics. My father was an existentialist and you know, that's, that's the mindset. Um, uh, I scored in the top one to two percent in my SATs. Uh, I passed the Mensa exam. It was like, okay, but I've got this gifted, this amazing set of genetics from my parents, but I can't figure out how to be happy in this life. <laughs> That's not very useful. And so he called that out immediately, recognized that in me immediately. And I'm like, I barely even said a few words. How how could he see that? So I I just dropped I dropped the defenses, and that coupled with him asking the exact right question. So my father had died from alcohol. He took his own life through alcohol, and um, three days before my 18th birthday, and I'm what they call a, a hypersensitive personality. So I feel everything every person's emotions i love being in nature because that was the one place where i saw and felt the harmony the perfection of things human beings didn't make any sense to me at all <laughs> they kept doing things that were contradictory to their own belief systems and i was like what's you know where do i fit into this so he said okay do this one sentence for me and i can't believe it was one sentence repeated that changed my life so dramatically from wanting to take my own life to being ecstatic about what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> and he said, tell me how you created a separation between you and your father. Just fill in the blank. I created a separation between your, my father and myself by, and I said, his alcohol. And he said, no, no, that's what he did. Tell me what you did to create that separation. And as he kept, as I kept repeating and kept pointing the fingers and laying the blame on my father, and him kept denying that, I felt myself backing into myself, like all these layers that I built up, all these stories that I built up that the world was to blame for how I felt. And as, as I was doing that, just the whole world seemed to disappear. And I was left only with my own sadness and hurt and anger that I had at my father. And it was a misplaced anger. I had nowhere to go with it because I was, I was sad for the loss of my father. I wanted him to be there for me. It was my 18th year, I was about to enter the work world and uh, I had no guidance at that point from probably one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life <laughs> was my father. I felt blessed for that, but then he decided to leave. And like, I just screamed out, why was, why was I not good enough for you to stay here? Mm. And I found forgiveness in that moment. And as I did, I saw how he was hurting and he was struggling. It wasn't about him leaving me. It was that he couldn't figure out how to live in this world either. Mm. And I immediately had this amazing connection with him and behind it, all this anger that I was holding was preventing me from loving my father. But it was not only that, it was preventing me from loving anyone. I was blocking and shutting down my own emotional freedom to love things because I was holding on to this anger and resentment. And when I set that free, I reconnected not only to my father, but to everyone else, to the world around me, to nature, to animals, to everything, to my deepest self. 
to my connection to the higher powers. It was extraordinary. I felt like I was floating. My whole body was vibrating with energy. It was so intense. And I just realized in that moment, my whole worldview had shifted. I realized I was so focused on what I came here to get out of this world. I forgot that my real joy was going to come from what I get to give in this world. And all of a sudden I had purpose. Before I was walking aimless in this world, now I had a reason to be here. Why do doctors go to a hospital? Because that's where they can do the best good for the people who need it the most, right? Mm -hmm. And now I saw I was not in the wrong place. I was in the perfect place to do as much good as I can in this world before I leave. And wow, it was a purposeful life began in that moment. And I have just only, the only question I have is how can I do better to serve others? And that's mm -hmm. such a powerful place to be because it's self-improving. And if you, you know, my, my father once told me, he says, Jeffrey, the best way to learn is to teach because it'll get you to rise to your highest self. So you have the best to offer others. Mm -hmm. Wow, did I not know how true that was until I had that experience. But in that forgiveness, I felt so grateful. I was so buzzing, I couldn't sleep. So mm -hmm. by the time I got home, I mean, I felt like somebody had plugged my hands into light sockets. They were vibrating so intensely with energy flow that I had been blocking for so long. And um I, so I just sat, sat in meditation. I said, well, at least give my body some rest because I, I can't shut my mind off right now. Um, and um, as the sun began to rise and I looked out the window and I saw that sun rising, I felt that energy rise in myself too. And I was meditating on how do I pay this forward? And the voice in my mind just said, stop harming others. Stop harming the animals. And I was like, wow, how did I not see that before? I love animals. I'm a nature freak, you know? Jacques Cousteau was my childhood hero because the undersea world and the, this amazing world of animals living in cooperation with each other. So I said, oh my God, but how do I teach this? Obviously, I don't expect people to go through a transformation like I did. And most people don't need to because they're not some coming from the, the precipice of suicidal depression, hopefully. And if you are, my blessings and hearts with you, there is hope to change. But I said, but still, how can I show people, you know, that they can move the reality that they're seeing, that they can shift this, they can change their perspective and and shift it to a proactive state from a reactive state. But how could I do this in a world that is, you know, not so embraceive of techniques like I went through, um, would be considered too woo or too out there. So I said, all right, well, let's get some physical research. I was a biopsych major in college and I loved science because I loved nature so much. The more I stood about science, the more I was fascinated by how cooperative it could be with all that differentiation in place. Mm -hmm. And so I just dove into the research because I knew in my heart of hearts, oh my God, this change is right. But of course, everybody around me was academia, was high IQ people, and they started hitting me with, but what about protein? Or what about this? And what about this? And, and I said, there's got to be answers for it. But we're just not asking them. So I looked through the science of literature and nobody was studying the biology of vegans the, or a plant-based mm -hmm. diet hardly. Ayurveda, some for sure, and traditional Chinese medicine, but nothing in the mainstream uh, science fields here in the United States. And I'm like, I'm going to keep digging until I find these truths because I know it's true in my heart. I just have to find the truths in the literature. Mm -hmm. And it's taken 20 to 30 years, but now it's really starting to explode. And I mm. feel so vindicated after this long. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is 
Fascinating. So we touched a little bit as you started entering into the science realm and why, but I just want to, I don't, I don't want to gloss over the fact that it's really fascinating to me that you saw a stranger. Yes. I, I don't believe in uh, coincidence, right? I, I feel there's serendipity for a reason and that you noticed her energy and her glow. Did she say anything to you? You were just attracted to the being that she was at that moment. He was radiating positive energy and I could feel it. And that was one of the double-edged swords that I feel I was born with, um, is that I'm hypersensitive. I can Mm. feel some, I was at a party and uh, the most popular guy in this area, I was visiting uh, in California with a friend and she said, oh, come to this party with me. And I said, okay, this guy came over. And he was the life of the party and everybody was loving him. And, you know, he's the most good looking guy and everything. He's rich. His family's wealthy. Everything's going right for him. Right. And she goes, oh, you got to meet him. And I met him and I turned to her and I said, oh, my God, he's full of pain. And she goes, oh, what are you talking about? You know, you're just all that woo stuff, you know. And I said, "Okay, all right. Uh, About 20 minutes later, he went outside and put his fist through the windshield of the car and tried to kill himself. His girlfriend had just broken up with him. And I felt that. And nobody else did. And it's okay. But there's a double-edged sword because sometimes I don't feel like I like to be in crowds because I can feel all the negativity (laughs) of people. It's good if you're a healer because it makes you intuitive towards people. Uh, It's not good if you're (laughs) trying to maintain your own sanity in a world that's hurting. Wow. That's that's exactly right. So you almost had to acknowledge your own suffering, your dad's suffering, which allowed compassion, which led you to your purpose, which gets us back to present day, the science. And yes, and I, even still, I think it's it's a uh, we know what to do and tell people, but it's still <laughs> exactly. it's like it's like it makes sense, <clears throat> common sense, but people still question it. And so. What gave you the idea? Like, what was one? How did you enter the? the I know you've been doing the bodybuilding component for some time. Yes. You also offered like the first plant-based or vegan bodybuilding competition. Is that right? That's correct. Can you talk about that piece of it for a bit? Yeah, I was at a. I was at a veg. I I love working out. I was a swimmer in high school and college. Held a district record. So I I quickly learned that you know, eating five to 8,000 calories a day and keeping uh, under 10% body fat was possible through exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I picked up weight training too as, as there and I didn't like being in chlorinated pools all the time. So I shifted that to, to maintain my health and because it made me feel good, you know, the release mm-hmm. of endorphins, the mood and emotional. I later learned through the science, its effect on the microbiome and its healthy impacts on cytokine production, which reduces risk of cancer. I mean, just on and on the benefits. I was like, well, great. This is something I love to do. I love working out. But uh, as a as a vegan, that's one of the first things everybody asked me is where do you get your protein? And I'm like, okay, I'm 60 years of age. <laughs> I have 17 inch arms and uh, do no drugs whatsoever and have not in the last 38 years since I swore off drugs, use no medications, no health concerns. My cholesterol is under a hundred. I mean, blood pressure, they say I'm a runner and I'm not, I don't even run, Mm. you know? Uh, So it's like, and then I'm, I'm in the gym and I'm, getting on the bench press machine, decline bench press machine and pushing 450 pounds for six reps. And people are looking at me like, how old are you? And I said, I'm 60. And they're like, how are you doing that? Yeah. And I'm mm. like, it's the plants. Mm. And, and I, I said, okay, well, wait a minute. If this is, people don't believe this and people, you know, a woman at a veg fest came up to me and I was wearing a vegan shirt, obviously. And she said, do you mind if I take a picture of you? And I said, no, fine. And she goes, the reason I want to do it is because I want to show my boyfriend because he doesn't believe vegans can gain the size you have. And you know, mm. she said, how long have you been vegan? Because he's going to say, you, you got that way not being vegan. I said, no, over 35 years. And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's not from meat then. I said, no, the body replaces meat muscle tissue every seven to 10 years. So it's been replaced three times over by plants. 
She's mm. like, he's not going to believe this. And I said, okay, there's there's a real good conversation piece. And I think men, if you look at the statistics, men resist becoming or making changes in their dietary pattern much more so than women. In the latest polls showed that 80% of vegans in the United States are women. Mm. So that's a disproportionate. And men are tied to this meat equals masculinity myth that's actually killing them. It's destroying their lives. But they're afraid of changing, afraid of judgment by their peers that they'll be you know, not considered manly enough that they're not meeting, eating meat uh, or that they can't gain muscle or that somehow they'll be judged you know, differently. So I really tried to want to set a better example for a masculine male that is vegan, long-term vegan, and older, and drug-free. <laughs> no excuses. So I said, all right, but there are lots of people now starting to do this. So I formed the, the World Vegan Bodybuilding Championship, the first completely drug-free vegan bodybuilding championship in the world. And we, the first show, we brought together 48 athletes from all over the world, Hong Kong, Germany, Australia, Canada. It was amazing. And people seeing the video of, you know, nearly 50 vegan drug-free athletes taking the stage and showing what they can accomplish without the use of drugs, without the eating of animal products. It was mm. phenomenal. And I just want to show people the example that you can get beyond, move beyond these fears that are holding you back and hurting you. And you can excel, optimize your diet, optimize your life, gain more out of it. Was in the gym the other day and uh, I always wear vegan shirts in there to keep the conversation going because of my physique that I've developed. <laughs> and uh, and the guy said, well, you know, I, I can do that. I said, what do you, what's the most thing important thing to you? He said, by far, my kids. And I said, and he told me about it, showed me pictures. And I said, well, great. Don't you want to be here for them? And he goes, of course. And I said, do you know that 50% of Americans will die of atherosclerosis in this country due to consuming dietary cholesterol, which only in by and large comes from animals. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, you're trading that hamburger for being here for your kids. Don't you wanna be here for them? He said, neither one of my parents made it to 60 and here I am at 60 thriving. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Be here for them. If you can't put down that burger for you, do it for them. Mm -hmm. He started, his eyes started to well up and then he was like, all right, all right, all right. You know, I got to be manly again. No crying here. <laughs> Especially not in the bro gym. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone might see me. No looking. <laughs> That's awesome. Vulnerable. Are you still, is there, are they still doing the contest uh, annually now, yes yes so we're doing uh we did one in 2023 this year and then we're doing one in 2024 and hope to have two one on the east coast and one on the west coast in 2025 awesome. uh, also wow. in talks with one to hold it in japan and in wow. possibly the middle east so wow wow that would be yeah. wow and they're men and women athletes um correct yes that's awesome Yes. Fantastic. So people are going to ask me, because before we dive deeper into your other things, what do you eat on a typical day and what is your <laughs> workout regimen? Because if I don't ask, I'm going to get hammered with questions afterwards. So please, if you would indulge those two questions, I'll be supportable, thankful. <laughs> so I eat by the properties of food, not necessarily what the food is. Um, so mm -hmm. Um, I start my day with high polyphenol, high antioxidant foods like berries and dark greens uh, because those protect cells. Well, if you're starting your day, don't you want to start with some cellular protection, right? Mm -hmm. Polyphenols also change into other metabolites through our fortunate uh, symbiotic relationship with our microbiome into stuff that helps us metabolize our food more helps us prevent storage of body fat, helps us 
like urolithin A helps us increase shuttling that nutrients to the muscle tissue so you can grow muscle. So I'm like, okay, so you're consuming all this fiber and all these polyphenols, you're priming up your microbiome so it can actually get your cells ready for healthy metabolism. And now you can go into your day with cells protected, with your guts fed, and with your cells primed to be able to metabolize the food that you're going to consume for the rest of the day. To me, that's the perfect way to start the day. So berries, blackberries, strawberries, blueberries, any berry you can think of, just throw it in there. Lots of colors. The more colors, the better. The different colors are different polyphenols or, uh, you know, so that's a great way. Start out with a, a, a cup of green tea or chai tea, get those high antioxidants and, and uh, again, more polyphenols. <laughs> Um, so and you get that cellular protective. So that's my first meal. And then the second meal, I will focus on the denser nutrition because then I go to do a workout. And of course I put more macronutrient demand on my body. And then that's when I'll do a big thing, a hummus or beans and grains and, and the seeds, the seed category, basically. And the reason why it's nutrient-dense foods, calorie-dense foods, um, that they contain a little bit more of the polyunsaturated uh, fats, like walnuts and almonds and things like this. So that's more calorie-dense, more protein-rich foods because they're seeds. You know, people think about what's the best protein source on the animal side, and you say an egg because it's a condensed form of a chicken. It grows into a big chicken, right? So you need a lot in there. Same with the seeds in plants. Your seed grows into a full-grown plant. So it's a condensed, lots of dense nutrient in there and energy in there. So that's what I focus on for my midday. And then for the end day, because our body is going to recover from all the work and all the things you've done, all the reactive oxygen species, big salads, beans, greens, and grains, you know, some tubers or starches because of the dietary starches, again, and this can leave you into the night to help you recover. So I eat according to the day based on the properties of the food. And then it leaves me a broad spectrum of different food choices to choose within each one of those categories. Protect and prime the pump, <laughs> feed the body its nutrients, its needs, and then hit it again at night with those protective dark greens and, and things like this that will help you recover and hear, heal and repair. Mm, that's fantastic. And then of course, we'll, people are asking how many days a week are you working out? How many hours? Like how did, long did it take you to build the physique and maintain? Like, what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? So I, I can work out, I can work out seven days a week um, mm -hmm. because I have such great recovery. Remember the alkalinity, plant-based diet is very high alkaline. It was just funny in the bodybuilding world, they actually take baking soda because it's alkaline to neutralize some mm. of the lactic acid built up from workouts. Well, plants mm. are already alkaline, so they're already doing that job for us. So our recovery times are much faster, which is why so many of the MMA athletes, basketball players, they're all starting to switch this because they recover faster and they get paid for playing. If they have to set out games for recovery, they don't get paid as much. So mm. it's it's a financial incentive for them. And uh, mm. so that just makes total sense for me on that side. So I can do that, but I, I pace myself. I look, I ask myself how I'm feeling. I use that feedback. Am I feeling really sore because I did one? Well, then I'll give myself an extra day of rest. You know, mm. recovery is where the muscle growth and repair happens not during the workouts. The workout mm -hmm. stimulates the growth and change, the adaptation, but the adaptation happens during rest. So getting good sleep is really important for that too as well. Absolutely. So on average, four days a week, five days a week? Yeah, four to five days a week. Cool. I do what's called splits. So I split up the body parts so that technically I do legs one, maybe two times a week. So, but I'm doing chest another time, I'm doing back another time, shoulders another time, arms another time. So it's actually a five day split and I'm actually only working that body part to, a, to, the, to the nth degree once or twice a week. Gotcha. gotcha. 
So then, um, so I know, you know, you're way well-versed in the scientific realm about all these things. And, um, you know, some of the things that I, I think would be fascinating to discuss, if we can kind of move towards duckweed. And I know you have a product about that. If you can share with that, I'm happy to you know, promote anything there. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about like, what is duckweed? Where did it come <laughs> from? How it was discovered? Like, how can we incorporate it? Where can we find it? Those type of things. Yeah. So um, obviously I own a fitness nutrition brand, a plant-based fitness nutrition brand called Clean Machine, because I'm trying to keep people to encourage them to keep this amazing machine that we're born into the human body is clean, free of drugs and free of animal products. But I know we're under stresses that the human body has never been to. We're exposed to chemicals and toxins that we've never been to that are, you know, in our lifetime created. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, we got to go a little bit deeper on the nutrition, almost to a therapeutic level to super compensate for some of these negatives that have never been part of the human experience until the last 50, 60 years. So I started looking for more whole food sources that were uber rich in nutrient density. And I found the best in the world. <laughs> so, and the funny thing is duckweed, we've been trying to kill it for the last 50 years as a noxious weed, it, you know, is in lakes and ponds and we've been spraying it and stuff like that. And uh, one uh, company was looking at uh, uh, how to, you know, do it. And they were dredging out duckweed and it was growing super rapidly. And they're like, wow, that thing is like almost impossible to kill. What's, let's take a look at it nutritionally. What's, let's break it apart. And when they found out <laughs> it's the most nutrient rich plant ever discovered on this planet. And they're like, wow, we shouldn't be tossing this out. We should be eating it. <laughs> wow. Uh, but what's really kind of unique, I mean, it, they found it was, one of the fastest growing plants it doubles its size every 36 hours it's faster growing than bamboo which was considered the fastest growing plant in the world um and they're like how is it creating so much nitrogen nitrogen is what creates protein obviously and it needs that to double in its size so it had 45 to 55 percent protein in its whole state that's oh. <laughs> yeah so the reason people do protein powders is because they have to pull out some of the other stuff that's not protein, like fiber and omegas and, and all the rest of the stuff, the micronutrients, so that you get more of the protein so that you have a density of protein. Mm. Well, this was so rich in protein, you could eat the, in its whole food state and still be getting 20, 30 grams in, in a serving. And I'm like, wow, wow a whole- What's a serving, by the way? What's Sorry. that? About What's a 35 a gram serving. So 35 gram. Just a little scoop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's uh that's less than a, a palm size uh, a powder in your hand. Wow. So that's in a powder dehydrated state? Correct. So they dehydrated okay. and and uh cold pressed and then dehydrated so that it can be served as powder. That way you can throw it into pancakes or smoothies or sprinkle it on salads or whatever you want to do with it. Wow. And I'm like. All right. So, you know, 1100% of vitamin K, I mean, just protein, 90% of your protein, 35% uh, uh, of your omega-3s in a single serving. I mean, it's just like off the charts, nutritionally all the way across the board, prebiotic fiber. The WHO called it the most complete food source on the planet. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But then there was one other element was the B12. Yes. So Which I think it's to the growth thing you're describing. Yeah. So I have been really searching for, wait a minute, plant-based diet has to be right. But what about this B12 thing? It's the number one argument used against, yeah, but where do you get your B12? Well, B12 isn't found in significant amount in plants. So we thought. <laughs> mm. And so when they did the studies on that, they found just a single scoop now will give you 100% of your daily value of vitamin B12, bioavailable B12, reaching the bloodstream, actually making changes in all three of the biological forms that our body uses, mm. methyl, oxal, 
and adenosyl. Interesting. This was amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, 100% of your DV naturally occurring in a whole food plant. So why was this? Okay, so plants normally living in soil, right? Their roots are in the soil. There are microorganisms that live in the soil that help with bioexchange of nutrients, right? So the plant actually takes uh, amino acids and sugars and sends them down into the roots and pushes it into the soil to attract fungi and microbes over to that. So the microbes will break down the minerals and different things, nutrients that are in the soil, make them bioavailable. I feed you, you feed me. Really beautiful symbiotic relationship. But what about a plant that's sitting here floating in the water? It hmm. can't. It can't do that. <laughs> so what the plant adapted to do is say, wait a minute, I'll soak up that B12 right through my root system, create little nodules in my root system, little condos for those bacteria to live, and then drop the food into the condo to feed them, and they can live out their life cycle in there. I'll pull up the nutrients in the water, they'll metabolize it, make it bioavailable for the plant, and the the microbes feed the plant, but those microbes include the microbes that create vitamin B12, the very bacteria that create vitamin B12, but it's in the plant. They're actually living inside of the plant. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So when you condense it to powder form, you're saying it gets the, the RDA for B12? Because we use the whole plant Right. You just scoop the plant right off the water, cold press it, and then dry it. It goes from pond to powder in about 40 minutes. So it's wow. true farm to table. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. And so then how did you incorporate this in your business and your products? Can you share with us what that looks like? Yeah. So we put it into, I was the first to launch. Um, at this time, it was called Limna is the, the plant name, Limna minor, also called Wolfia. There's different species of the greater species, Limnacea. I was the first to bring it to market and we brought it to the largest trade show in the country, the Natural Products Expo West. Um, it's the largest actually natural products show in the world. And we won the next Nexty Award, the top supplement award in the United States for best supplement a year. Out of wow. over 3,000 entries, we're considered the most important nutraceutical launch of 2018. Now, that was really exciting to be the best of the best supplement in the entire country. Um, but what happened was they said, all right, we're starting to ramp up, we're controlling, but we want to ramp up. So they shut down production. And unfortunately, right when that happened, a study came out showing that it's also called mankai. Duckweed has lots of different names, depending on what part of the world you're, you're referring it to. Uh, but uh, the study compared it to the top study for weight loss in the world, which is the Mediterranean diet. And it's the number one considered number one diet in the world. And it because of its such high polyphenol content, it doubled the amount of fat loss of the number one diet in the world. <laughs> in what capacity is it because you're eating less calorie? Like how, what's the mechanism? Mechanism of action is the polyphenols themselves. The polyphenols are, like have a dual purpose. One, they help upregulate the system. They help set cell signal to our system to regulate where the calories go and how they're used. And then our microbiome breaks the polyphenols down, some of the polyphenols down into further metabolites that even do that on a supercharged level. So because it's one of the richest sources of polyphenols, even more so than the berries, when you consume this, it makes your body more efficient at processing the calories you consume. You can't combine that with a plant-based diet and the weight loss was extraordinary. So twice as much, they had three groups, one just using nutritional coaching, one using the Mediterranean diet, and the third using what they call the green Mediterranean diet now, which is including limna or mankai or duckweed in it. 
And the duckweed was twice as effective as the Mediterranean diet and was three times as effective as actual nutritional coaching on how to lose weight. Mm. And this was calorie equivalent across the board? Correct. And the meals? Yes. I'd love if you could share that, story, <laughs> of course. that study with me. So that, that study That's came out, it hits Women's World, it hits GQ, our sales overnight skyrocketed 1,800%. <laughs> Oh, okay. We we wow. we literally sold out of everything we had in weeks. <laughs> wow. Okay. And yes. So we're waiting for the for the, the the scaling to be finished so that we can get it back into the marketplace. But people are pounding our doors for it because of that study. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, we're at 77% of America is overweight or obese right now. It's a big deal. But to me, the health part of it is even more, the B12. I mean, you've got 100% value of D D B12 in it. You've got the richest source of nutrition of any plant. You've got something that grows 365 days of the year. So there's no crop rotation necessary. There's no downtime. And, hmm. and uh, per square inch of food grown is multiple times that of any other food crop in the world. 98% of the water is squeezed out of the plant and returned to the tank. So it's almost, a, when it rains, it's a zero water crop use. <laughs> so where can someone get the like full duckweed or can they grow this at home? Like, is that yes. a possibility? It, it is with a very big asterisk. Okay. Mm. So duckweed is exceptional at pulling nutrients into its system because it grows so fast. Mm. If the water is not pure, it will pull everything into its system, including oh, wow. the toxins that are in the water. So duckweed is actually used to remediate polluted bodies of water. You can take duckweed, throw it on a polluted body of water, and within five to six generations, it will start to begin to clean up the water to potable drinking water. Wow. It's wow. that efficient at taking the toxins out of the water, turning them back into organic materials, and, and sinking them to the bottom of the body of water. Now, okay. this is really cool. It has a flower, but it's the only plant in the world that we know of that doesn't use flower, its flower for reproduction. It actually self-spores. It creates little clones of itself off its root system. So there's no need to plant it. It will grow forever. So you can give a one-inch bit of water and a tray to a starving family in Africa, and it will grow that way for the rest of their lives. It will provide food hmm. and nutrition for the rest of their lives. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. NASA is looking at it for the trip to Mars because hmm. it can feed off of the waste of the astronauts, recycle right. it. It takes carbon dioxide out of the air and turns it to breathable oxygen for the astronauts. And it provides the richest source of nutrition, including vitamin B12. <laughs> So you don't wow. need any animals. Wow. If there needs to be an ambassador for duckweed, I feel it's you. So it's the plants. It's the plants. They're extraordinary. I, I'm just the messenger. I'm, I'm so grateful to be the messenger for this hero that is the plant. Wow. Okay. So this is fascinating. Okay. So we have duckweed, which is going to be my new, you know, I go down rabbit holes. I feel like I'm getting <laughs> pulled into the rabbit hole. So thank you for shining the light to my new adventure here in a moment. Um, and um, you also spoke when we were emailing back and forth about, you know, topics to dive into was the omega-3 component and would love to hear, you know, what does the science say about that? Because I do get a lot of questions. Should we supplementing like the LG omegas? Um, you know, because even people, you know, some people are, if they're looking to lose weight, they're a little bit sensitive to, you know, the caloric density of nuts and different things, which are, yes. which of course, of the ALA. So curious to see your spin on that. Yeah. And, and just like in my search for duckweed, I found duckweed through the research. I contacted the company and worked with them for a year before they even broke ground on the aqua farm to grow it. So I reach out to these company in their early phases because I'm reading the research. 
Because to me, the nutrition, the, the innovation, that's the important part is getting the best that nature has to offer to a general public. Because I was so frustrated. I'm reading these research about all these very cool plants, but nobody's eating them. Nobody's consuming them. Nobody's getting these extraordinary benefits. I'm like, why? I mean, we started to do that in the last 10 to 20 years with superfoods. And I'm like, okay, that's a great first step. But there's some extraordinary plants like lemna or ahi flower that are, there's nothing like them in the world in that plant kingdom. And people still don't know about it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, how many of you have actually heard of this ahi flower? None. That's None. that's a little picture of the flower there. It, most people haven't. It, it's common name is Buglearis. So you wouldn't know it by its spe genus species name. <laughs> Ahi flower, again, is its trade name. Just like most people haven't heard of lemna either. You know, you say, oh, that's lentils. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a small plant that floats on the surface of the water. <laughs> the ducks yeah. eat it, so they call it duckweed. Um, gotcha. Uh, but so the big, the big thing uh, knock against was... Uh, ALA versus EPA and DHA. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the body, our bodies, just like all herbivores and even some omnivores, they convert ALA down into different forms and eventually into EPA. And then finally at the very bottom, DHA. So there's some concern that do we convert that efficiently? Do we mm -hmm. convert it enough for the needs of the human body? And so they looked in the bloodstream and they found very low conversion rate, less than 1%. And they said, well, is that enough to supply the brain? So it was called the enzyme theory. And they said, at first, let's, okay, we're looking maybe in the plasma. Maybe it's not showing up in the plasma. Let's actually look at whole red blood cells because then it's actually getting into the cell. So it's intracellular. And when they did that, they found that the more ALA that you consume, actually the less DHA shows up in the whole blood. And they're like, mm. huh? Why is that? Well, there's actually a really, really good reason for that. ALA does not convert to DHA in the bloodstream intentionally. DHA can actually elevate LDL cholesterol. ALA and EPA do not, they actually elevate the good cholesterol, HDL. So you got a negative there that you don't want in your bloodstream. You take that even further. ALA and EPA both protect blood from, or cholesterol, LDL cholesterol from oxidizing. Hmm. DHA does not, it can actually interfere with that process. So actually taking DHA preformed outside the body and putting into your bloodstream may actually be a problem for people who have higher LDL cholesterol, may actually interfere with their HDL cholesterol levels, your good cholesterol, may actually interfere with the oxidation, which can then lead to atherosclerotic plaques causing Alzheimer's, dementia, heart attacks, stroke, erectile dysfunction. There's a good reason the body doesn't convert ALA or EPA because they're better at cardiovascular protection. Amazing study looked at, okay, what if we give people ALA? Will it improve their CR, CRP, their C-reactive protein and other biomarkers uh, that we're looking at it? And sure enough, ALA uh, did actually greatly improve that. But they said, well, what about EPA and DHA if we just gave it to that? And it did some, but then they said, well, let's give ALA on top of that. And it improved their scores even more than that. So ALA was more effective than EPA and DHA at improving cardiovascular states and markers. Now they did it on type 2 diabetes. And they found ALA and EPA both improved type 2 diabetes mellitus markers, 20 to 30%. DHA, zero. No effect on diabetes at all. So we're looking in the bloodstream, whether it's diabetes markers or cardiovascular markers or cholesterol concerns, ALA and EPA are both significantly better at doing that job. And DHA actually might be a negative. So 
it would be better if the body actually made that conversion in the tissues where DHA was being used. So they did some further research. This study is called, Is DHA Synthesis from ALA Sufficient to Supply the Adult Brain? Uh, Professor Brasnett led the research, brilliant uh, researcher. And they found that up to 50 grams of DHA was being stored in our fat tissues. Hmm. So they said, well, how much is needed by the brain? Two and a half to 3.8 milligrams per day. No. <laughs> so we have about 20 to 30 years worth of stored DHA in our body at any given time. That's just based on brain. Obviously, the brain is the biggest concern for DHA. There's DHA is used for other things in our body too as well. But that's just like, wow. So they did a second way of looking at it. They looked at carbon isotope. So uh, uh, omega-3s are long chain fatty acids. That long chain is carbon chains. They're carbons all stuck together. Well, as they break down, they break down into certain isotopes. And if you measure those isotopes, you can see exactly how much ALA is converted to DHA. It leaves a signature, an undeniable signature. It won't be there unless that conversion has happened. And they found that not only were we converting so much DHA, 50 times more DHA was being converted in tissues than in the bloodstream, and yet our omega-3 index is measured on bloodstream mm. and red blood cells. I'm like, we're looking in the total wrong place. We've based all of our assumptions on this. Because of course, if you take outside endogenous preformed EPA and DHA and drop them into your digestive tract, first they're going to show up in the bloodstream. You put them there. Mm -hmm. But the body is wise in saying, I will hold on to ALA because it can convert down to all other five forms, SDA, ETA, EPA, DPA, and DHA whenever you need it however much you need it for each specific tissue, for each specific gender, for each specific age group, for each specific disease state. You're going to need different amounts of each one of those. So they said, well, what about those first three, ALA, SDA, and ETA? It's a unidirectional conversion. So it only goes one way. Why would you convert ALA all the way down to DHA, which was the last one? Because once it becomes DHA, that's it. You're done. It can't go back to any of the other states. Hmm. That makes no sense at all. You'd keep it as ALA as much as you can. They found out the body hoards ALA and stores it hmm. for up to a year in the body. They, they put a radioactive tracer on it to find out how long it stays in the human body. ALA will park in the body and hold it and wait till you need it for a year. Hmm. When they looked at the DHA, they saw that 50 times more conversion that was happening in the blood, so much so that it was just topping off the stores in the brain and the liver and the fatty tissues of DHA to hold it, just topping off those stores to make sure you have enough 60% of the rest of the DHA was just being burned off as calories. Hmm. Was just used as energy. Wow. Beta oxidation, just burn it up. We don't have any use for it. So this big concern about DHA, and then I'm looking at, okay, wait a minute, you have omega-6 and omega-3, and you have ALA is the primary precursor, the only essential omega-3, and the only essential uh, omega-6 is LA and they all convert down. Well, how many of you are concerned that you're not getting enough arachidonic acid? Yeah, no one, no one is it. How many of you are taking arachidonic acid as a supplement? Yeah, no mm. one, because it's pro-inflammatory. You don't want it, you let your body make its own only when it needs it for pro-inflammatory states, like when you get injured, mm -hmm. of course. Well, that's the exact same enzymes used in both converting ALA to DHA, and uh, LA to arachidonic acid. It's the identical desaturase and elongase enzymes. They do both. So if there's not enough enzymes to convert to DHA, well, then there wouldn't be enough enzymes to create DPA, omega-6. And how many of you even heard of DPA, omega-6? Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly, because we don't worry about it because our body is so efficient at producing it when and where it needs it. Hmm. This changes the whole understanding of omega nutrition.
and that we have been looking at the studies, one in the wrong place, it's not in the blood, it's in the tissues. And of course it can't be measured because you have to go in and take biopsies. We're not gonna go take pieces of people's brains to find out how much DHA is there. We need a better test for that. Hmm. But this is how wrong. If you test a vegan on the omega-3 index, nine, over 90% will fail. Mm -hmm. even if they're grossly getting more omega-3 than their body could even ever process and ends up burning it in beta oxidation. Mm. That test is wrong and that test is false and it's scaring vegans about omega-3s. And we mm. really need to get this research out there so that people stop making this assumption that we're not getting enough omega-3s in our diet. We are, mm. we just don't have the right test because we're looking in the wrong place for it. Mm. Wow, that's really fascinating. Definitely would love all those, any research papers you can send to me, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what would, what do you recommend? I mean, based on your research and, you know, like how much should we be looking at their ALA consumption? What are the foods that you would suggest um, in the whole food form? Yeah, so there, there, is, there is an actual uh, genetic variant in some humans, a small percentage, that don't do the first step, the conversion of ALA down to SDA. It's called delta-6 desaturase or D60. Some people, because of a genetic difference, don't produce that enzyme as efficiently. It's not that they don't produce any, it's that they don't produce enough. So that's a concern. But how do you know? Well, you can get your genetics tested. But I was like, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, what if we just found a plant that was really good at producing the second step, SDA? It would mm. skip that concern for all that. Then you'd have a plant-based omega that would be good for everyone to take, not 95% of the people, 100% of the people. Mm. And I found when I found eye flower, it is the richest source of SDA of any plant on the planet, and it's not close. Mm. ALA, mm. Uh, flax and chia have no SDA in it at all. Hemp mm. has a little bit, but this has 10 times the amount of SDA as hemp. Mm. So now you've got a plant source that skips that concern for people and skips that it's got ALA, but it's also got SDA too. So it covers that uh, concern. Hmm. Hmm. That is really fascinating because I'll, I'll throw out an interesting, just anecdotally seeing, because I've seen thousands of plant-based patients, thousands. And I would say a small handful when they switch to a very clean plant-based diet, um, many were looking to lose weight. So they were, you know, a little bit restricted on their fat consumption, um, started developing joint discomfort, especially in their hands. And when I'm looking at, you know, anti-inflammatory pieces, I put them on higher doses of ground flaxseed, uh, walnuts, and I added a preformed omega-3, algae omega-3 in every single case resolved itself. So I'm wondering if it's that conversion piece that might've been, do you know the numbers on the percentages? I had no idea why this worked. It just made sense that something like that would work. And so I was just basically trying, but every single person has worked every single time. Yes, so you're using, at this point, you're using omega-3s not as nutritional support or nutri meeting nutritional requirements, you're using as a therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And just like drugs are stronger than many nutraceuticals because they're hyper-concentrated, they have therapeutic applications where a plant would take a lot longer to do it in its whole food. It's because a gentler, a milder approach. So yes, when you're talking therapy, you will see that in studies borne out that yes, you can do this. Now, when you put preformed EPA and DHA, so especially DHA, when you put preformed DHA in the body, so those gene, those um, enzymes, elongase and, and desaturase enzymes, those are regulated by epigenetics. So if you have a lot of DHA come in, the body says, okay, I've got plenty of that, turn off all the enzymes that would convert EPA down further so I don't mm -hmm. overload the system with DHA. 
So you basically force the body into switching off its ability to convert those things. So this is borne out in a study. They found, um, actually pull up the study. Uh, um, so they found that uh, those consuming uh, a plant-based diet had much higher enzyme levels, converted at a much higher ratio than those eating fish. Mm. So if you introduce testosterone to the body, exogenous mm. testosterone, what does it do to the body? The body says, that's plenty. I'll shut down my own production. <laughs> what do you do when thyroid gets introduced to the body, right? Thyroid hormones, T3, the body shuts down and it can permanently shut down. Fortunately for omega-3s, that doesn't, it doesn't seem to be permanent, but mm -hmm. it does. Uh, so the body disrupts its own endogenous regulation. And mm -hmm. now you've disrupted that. And now it has to go back and recorrect that once you remove that source of DHA. Remember, uh, the body right turns on and off those enzymes through epigenetics to control and regulate. If you put DHA in there, what happens is it shuts off the enzyme and you can actually start to see a pile up of EPA because that's where the mm -hmm. break is at. So it starts to hyperaccumulate. They even found that by doing DHA, it caused memory impairment in students when they gave them DHA. They gave mm -hmm. them algae DHA and it caused such a pileup of EPA, it interfered with brain function to the point where they couldn't recall things as well as without it. So mm -hmm. DHA was actually a detriment because of the interruption in the endogenous regulation of these specific amounts that the body is. Turn off that gene, don't produce that enzyme, stop it there and so forth, all the way to the John. That's why we have these five steps. In carnivores, they don't have the first three steps. They don't have ALA, SDA. If you give a carnivore an ALA, it does nothing for them. They can't do anything with it because they don't even produce the enzyme. Because they eat mm -hmm. only animals that have preformed EPA and DHA, their body says, we'll just get rid of part of that part of the system because we're not using it. So carnivores don't even have ALA, uh, SDA, or ETA um, elongase enzymes. They don't. They don't make them. Their body just said, I don't know. If I'm not going to use them, I'm not going to make them. Mm. Our body has that. All herbivores have that. And it's hardwired into our system. It doesn't go away just because you don't use it. Like in the case of carnivores, where it's just met metabolically just been removed from their bodies. That's mm. fascinating. And that tells us our not only our essential amino acids are different than a carnivore, all herbivores have the nine basic essential amino acids. Carnivores have taurine. Taurine is not made by plants. Taurine is only found in animals. They have to eat animals to get taurine. Without it, they don't, they perish. All herbivorous, herbivorous animals and most omnivorous animals don't require taurine because we make our own. We don't need an outside source of it. Same with essential fats. You see all herbivorous animals, they make their own from ALA all the way down. Carnivorous animals can't do squat with ALA. They can't change it at all. Big difference, essential fats, essential amino acids. These are the two big macros that are essential. And there's hard differences between an herbivore. You look at cholesterol, you can feed saturated fat and cholesterol all day long to omnivores and, and carnivores, and they will never, ever develop atherosclerosis. It's impossible. Actually, they found a way to create atherosclerosis in carnivores is to take out their thyroid. When you remove the thyroid, they get atherosclerosis just like humans do. Hmm. Okay. Only herbivores then can get atherosclerosis from the consumption of saturated fat and cholesterol. It is the number one killer of human beings globally. Which of these two groups do we belong to? Never get atherosclerosis or this the number one killer? <laughs> it's clear our physiology from cholesterol to essential fats to essential amino acids. We're herbivores. It's clear physiologically. Hmm.
Yeah, the anatomic comparative component. Oh, that's okay. There's a lot going on in my brain. Um, okay, so ah, oh, we're doing there's way we've already an hour talking. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um okay, this is fascinating. So, first of all, I feel like I'm gonna have to have you back on because I'll have more questions after these studies, and maybe we'll do a part two diving into the science even further. That was fascinating. So um, first of all, please share where people, thank you so much, by the way, for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. I'm sure there's much more. We're just the tip of the iceberg. Um, where we can, people can find you, learn more about your products and your company. And, you know, when can we expect, like you said, you were waiting for the duckweed to yes. be able to build. Yes, please share with us that okay. information. Yeah, so um, you can find us at Clean Machine Online. That's our website. If you're interested in looking at the products, we have most of the research, the details about the different ingredients uh, of every one of our products on site too. Um, we also uh, launched the, the very first organic uh, D3, USDA certified organic D3 from algae. And it's mm -hmm. unique because it's 100% pure cholecalciferol vitamin D3 in its organic state from, from food. So hmm. this is the first time that they've isolated so that you're getting pure um, vitamin D3. None of the other hmm. vitamin D2 or interfering D2. factors in it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. So you can, find, you can follow me on Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook. I'm constantly posting all the latest research, uh, debunking the myths against uh, veganism and the plant-based uh, consumption, all the breakthroughs in the research too. Uh, I do Facebook Lives every Thursday uh, with uh, special guests, and I'd love to have you on there too <laughs> at some <Sure>. point. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then, of course, you can find us on IG and Facebook at Clean Machine Fit. Machine Fit. Okay. Awesome. Uh, we also do have a website if you're interested in the bodybuilding aspect. It's just go to World Vegan Bodybuilding Championship, and you can find that on Facebook. Okay, and we'll of course have all the links in the, the notes. And the clean machine was at cleanmachine.com, cleanmachinefit.com. It's cleanmachineonline.com. And that's the okay. same on YouTube. You can catch all of my videos, all my Facebook lives. They live there post recording um, and on YouTube at Clean Machine Online. Okay, well, this is really cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I'm sorry we went over the hour. I, I know it's a past hour, but. Um, this was great. I'm sure they'll generate a lot of conversation and discussion and comments. And uh, you guys, if you have more comments or questions, please post them. And when we bring Jeff back on, when he's gracious enough to allow us to interview him again, we'll certainly make sure and ask those. So thanks again. And thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Pleasure.